This is Top Floor episode 88. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 88. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. I'm talking to Stephanie Smith, CEO and digital matriarch of Cogwheel Marketing about who her agency helps. Stephanie, there are no shortage of marketing agencies in hospitality. What sets Cogwheel apart? Our specialty is really working with branded hotels, primarily ones that operate as franchisees under Marriott, Hilton, IHC, and Hyatt, including all of their soft brands. How do you replace a field marketing team from the brand or do you? Every company is in a different journey on their digital marketing. Depending on where ownership or management company is, we're nimble enough. We can meet them where their needs are. If they have somebody on their team that's doing digital marketing, we can certainly complement them given where their skill sets might lie. What about focusing on direct bookings versus OTAs? We like to look at it as a total online presence because yes, we want to drive as much as we can for our book direct strategy, but we also have to realize that OTAs have huge marketing budgets that's really going to be hard for a hotel to compete with. So we use those tools when it makes sense. We have to really look at the data and say, okay, this is what's happening and how do we adapt all of our digital marketing strategies to what's happening for that hotel in that market. Welcome to the show. Here are a few things about today's guest. She learned to surf in Costa Rica and hiked the Grand Canyon. She sold Mary Kay at age 18 and took ballroom dancing classes. She was a high school tennis champ and class president. And at the same time, Karen Laos had a problem with self-confidence. After years as a corporate trainer, Karen took her consultancy full-time in 2020 with the mission of eradicating self-doubt in 10 million women over the next 10 years. As a professional keynote speaker, Karen works with audiences in every industry, but she's spent a lot of time lately working with hospitality organizations. Today, Karen and I are going to talk about speaking with confidence. But before we jump in, we need to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals and just basically anybody who has a burning question. If you would like to submit a question, you can call or text me at 850-404-9630. Today's question was submitted by Letitia. And here's what she says. I have to deliver a training that I record over Zoom. I don't have a ton of time to get it perfect, but any quick tips on what to do or what not to do? And then she added, I really need people to learn this stuff. <laughs> what do you think, Karen? I know you've done some of this before. What any big do or do not do tip? Yes. The biggest tip that I would say is make sure that you're looking at the webcam or you have certainly have tested it in advance because the other thing is that 
sometimes when we look directly at the webcam, it actually looks like we're, we're looking above people. So I might be sounding like I'm talking out of two sides of my mouth. This is why I say to test it because it depends on your laptop or your desktop or your <laughs> external camera. Mine is about, my sweet spot is about an inch below the webcam. So this, I would say, is the biggest problem that most people face that do virtual recordings or meetings. They're looking at themselves or they're looking at the people speaking. And while that is a better experience for us, the more important thing to remember is that it is not about us. It is about the audience's experiences of us. And if we give them a great experience, we're going to influence and build that trust and credibility quicker. So that would be my number one tip. I'm happy to give more, but I also want to respect our time. Well, I was afraid you were going to say that because I always stare intently into the eyes of the other people on the Zoom instead of looking at the webcam. And it's very hard for me to sustain that. It feels like sustaining awkward eye contact. (laughs) So I knew you were going to give that tip. And it is a good one, but it is a really hard one to do. Anything she should not do for her training. (laughs) Yes. I would say don't speak in a monotone voice and don't ramble until you get to the point. Start with the point up front. The way that people take in information is they need the lead of the story first, just like when we're scrolling through our phones and deciding what email we're going to read. We decide that based on the subject line and probably the person that's sending it as well. But having that clear point up front will help to save you because more often than not, we end up starting with a lot of detail and things and we don't get to the point quickly. And then one other thing related to this is be careful about the lovely bunch of words up front that are a bunch of pleasantries that people don't need. Things like, thank you so much for coming. I'm so glad you're here. I can't wait to talk to you about this. I'm so excited. I'm so thrilled. Start with a story or an example or a data point something that grabs their attention quickly, and then they decide that you're worthy of being listened to. Then they're going to be much more interested in listening to those details that are still important, but now they have a container within which to hear them. And they're also much more engaged in you as the speaker. I really feel like we can end this episode now because you've already given away like the very best tips and advice and information, but I'm not going to let you off the hook. We're going to go through all of these questions nonetheless. You did a few hotel front desk gigs when you first moved to San Francisco, but most of your career has been in human resources, corporate training, communications, that kind of thing. When you look back at those early Kempton and Hyatt front desk days, did anything you learned there stick with you over time? Or were you like, let me out of here. I've got to get away from this crazy business. (laughs) Well, the biggest thing that stuck with me, and I did really love the business. But interestingly enough, at that time in my life, I didn't consider it for some reason as a long-term thing. I really thought about it as, okay, I'm going for this for now. The thing that really stood out for me, which is why I truly adore hospitality, and I do this naturally just with my personal life as well. I love having people over and entertaining, but the power of connection that when I can be somebody that can connect and also help that gives me so much joy. And when I think about those moments being behind the front desk, 
But more importantly, I think about the times when I was behind the desk as a concierge. I had only lived in San Francisco a few months. I couldn't (laughs) believe they hired me as a concierge. But I will tell you, I learned the city very quickly. And I learned how wonderful it was and how rewarding it was to be that person that would give people almost a sigh of relief because I would almost like, I've got you. I know the best restaurant I'm going to recommend. I know exactly the fastest and most efficient way for you to see the city. And that really stuck with me about how I can continue to serve. You have said that you sort of grew up professionally at Decker Communications. I honestly would bet that most people don't realize jobs like that exist. Can you tell us about your time there and what you did? Yeah. Well, I have to share what I did before to give you some context because I had already been praised as a corporate trainer and I was doing really well in the other companies where I worked. And so when I went to Decker, I really thought I was pretty good. And it was a very humbling experience (laughs) because these little things that truly in the big picture aren't little the nuances that add up to now what I have learned that really helps people decide very quickly if they think that you're trustworthy and credible, for example, among other things. But the way I say that I grew up there is that I started as a corporate trainer. And I will never forget the very first moment where I had planned and did did a ton of work to deliver my first training, but not in front of clients yet in front of my boss for her to decide, do I think you're ready? That's always more scary. I know. I really thought, Susan, that I had nailed this thing. And she asked me, well, how do you think you did? I said, I think I did great. I was humbly kind of saying that. And she said, well, if I really listened, your content was practically perfect. But Karen, you look pissed off the entire time. Oh, no. What? And that's when I learned that disparity gap of how we think we're coming across versus how we actually are coming across. So what I mean by that is what I have also now come to learn is that many of us, when we are focused on something like our content, delivering a presentation or an important meeting, we get this furrowed brow, almost like this super serious look. And it unfortunately takes away from the connection. So now I have come to use a quote that I came up with as a result of that is, we can't sacrifice connection for perfection. And that was a huge, huge learning to me very early on. And I created for myself more than one job there. And the beautiful thing is that it was almost entrepreneurial. They had the structure there because they had already had a company many years back, but then they relaunched it years later. And the relaunch was very fortunate for me because I started with the president, CEO, and the founder and a couple of other people like me. And the job truly was a two and a half day work week, which was incredible. I know. And I was able to live off of that salary. So I got to do other fun things. So I always say I retired early for a few years. Oh, <laughs> wow. In San Francisco, no less. I know. And I got to travel all over the world and moved into a mentoring role, then a management role. And then I eventually was on the leadership team specifically helping and coaching and training and hiring all of the facilitators and consultants. Oh, wow. Did that company work 
with every type of business, every type of industry, or was it just focused on something specific? All different types, tech, finance, manufacturing, all of the above. Hospitality. And you you were teaching communication skills or were you teaching like nuts and bolts of how to do someone's job? It was communication. So specifically, our main, main program was called Communicate to Influence. And specifically what that meant is really two categories. One is the message itself. And then the other part is the executive presence, how we come across with our body language and our voice. Interesting. Can you tell that I'm trying to have really good posture? <laughs> Every time you say something like executive presence, I'm like, oh, better sit up straight. Well, here's the other thing I wanted to say before with the call-in that I hope will give people a little bit of grace and relief that I say, think about the 80-20 rule. We can't, again, be perfect and nobody connects with perfect. We need to be human. <laughs> we need to be human as we are. And so I say, just Focus on these things 80% of the time, like looking at the camera. My goodness, if you looked at the camera the entire time, like a stare contest, you're right. It would feel like that, that awkward in person. (laughs) (laughs) People would think you're an AI (laughs) robot or something. So you made the decision to go out on your own, what turned out to be right before the pandemic. What were some of the things that you did to maintain the momentum of your new business when you couldn't like hit the road for speaking gigs? I started right away with the online thing of how do I do this now? So basically, I got help, which I think is always really important for people. Who has done this before? What have they done? The great news is I had the foundational tools of the virtual environment because I had been training people how to use Zoom and virtual environments with GoToMeeting, all these things. That's one of the things that I did when I was at Decker. So I had been doing that for years. So it was not a hard transition for me to be not just training on Zoom, but teaching other people how to do it. So that was a great addition to my business to help be a consultant for people with that. But I would say the biggest thing that I called my coming out party in the in the space of the online thing was hosting an online summit. And I ended up hosting this and I say ended up because I'll I'll tell you in a minute the backstory, but the lead of the story to answer your question is that I had this online summit called Ignite Your Confidence and I'm really proud of it because I put a lot of effort into it. And I got almost 1,300 women to attend. Holy and it was, moly. Yeah. It was it was a week long with three videos dripped out a day, specifically that who I interviewed were women in business that were influential on some level. And I'm also very proud that I had 43% women of color, which was my goal. And that was that was really important to me to make sure we had as much representation as I could possibly bring in to the best of my ability. And the the interesting fun fact about the precursor to this is that when you go back to okay, your original question, basically, okay, building an online business, how do you where do you start? What do you do? And everybody kept saying, Well, you need to build your email list. I'm thinking, well, how do I build my email list? So I talked to a coach who worked for another organization who was attempting to sell her services to me or the organizations. And I said, well, tell me about your first step. What do you teach people? And she ended up telling me the whole strategy. (laughs) I hung up and I thought, well, 
I don't need to pay eight grand for that. (laughs) I'm going to do that myself. And that's what I did. Excellent. A piece of advice that I have gotten personally and I've heard given a lot to uh, executives is to develop a signature talk. I know you have several of those. How did you decide what they were going to be? And how did you work on building those speeches out? Did you just like go, hmm, I should talk about XYZ and then write it? Or how did that go? I love the leadership presence component because I feel like the communication tips and similar to what I learned at Decker, really about the message as well as the messenger and essentially how you say it, what you say and how you say say it are my favorites. So that really was my foundation. So when I say that because that those practical tips or that piece is really the heart of it. Every other thing is about the title. I see. So it's not as if everyone is completely different, but I I love words and I love thinking of titles. What would grab the attention of people? And numeric things tend to do that. Because most of us feel incomplete if you say something like, you know, the the seven ways this or the five steps to this. And if you get to three and you never finish, people are going, what are the other two? <laughs> the others, you know, whatever. And that's part of my strategy is the title. But as far as the content and putting that together, I am super grateful once again to Decker Communications who taught me a structure that is super helpful. And as a tip to give it without giving everybody the full thing, we don't have time for that. But one of the biggest and most important things is to lead with something that's going to grab attention quickly. And then that transitions to the point of your message. And the point of your message shouldn't be something like, today, I'm going to talk to you about this. But it's why does this matter to the audience? Like the three C's to command any room with confidence. We want the confidence. We want to command. So we go, okay, I want that. Tell me more how I can get that. And then ending with a specific action step. You never want to do an amazing talk and then not give them something to do next. So speaking of the three C's to command any room with confidence... Can you give us the three C's? What are they? <laughs> you have to buy it for no. I'm just kidding. I understand. I understand. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, everybody wants to. It is funny. I love Cliff Notes too. Just tell me what they are. The first one we've talked about a little bit, and that is clarity. One of the tips around clarity is one that I taught myself, which is how to stop rambling and get to the point. Because I myself am a recovering rambler, as I like to say. (laughs) And the tip for that is simply to notice, number one, when you're doing it, and then stop and pause and then say out loud, and my point is this. It not only helps you focus, but it helps everybody else go, oh, she has a point. (laughs) We're getting there. (laughs) It brings everybody to a central focus place and you can help that whole thing move forward. So clarity is the first one and there's multiple aspects to that, but that's one tip I would offer. And then the second one is credibility. How do you actually be a credible expert well. I can't tell you how to be an expert as far as the years of experience and this, the places to go, but there are subtle things that we do with our voice in particular that can make a big difference in our credibility and how we come across. So most of that section is about your voice. And then the third one is about claiming your power. 
because we all have power. And a big thing that I have noticed with all genders, but particularly my focus is women, that we often don't claim that power and we lack confidence in the power that we do have. So claiming it is a big part of that. How do you think that we can make sure that the sort of short-term and expedient advice, like cutting out us up speak to sound more credible, doesn't take the place of the bigger picture goals like, you know, equal pay and a balanced C-suite and all that stuff. What do you think? Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't think it replaces anything. I think these two work together and there's more than two. (laughs) (laughs) True. Let's face it. This is a huge issue. And we have been culturally conditioned and the world is the way it is. And yet I don't think that it's about blaming either side. It's more of my focus is, first of all, number one, companies need to recognize the power And the fact that we actually make more money and have more fulfilled working lives and the whole world is a better place in our economies when we have a more equitable workforce. And the work that I focus on is how can people leverage their power in general? And I will tell you that Upspeak and the thousands of people that I have coached in all genders is just as there's a lack of credibility when men say it too, or any other gender, for example. And It doesn't matter that it's a female. I don't see it as a male or female issue to say again, like my focus is just not there. My focus is on what can we do to advocate for ourselves, at least looking at what is it that we can control? We can't control that the world is unfair. We can't control certain things, but the thing that we can control is our own behavior. And also recognizing that, first of all, Anytime somebody does an introduction, it becomes a run-on sentence, regardless of who you are. And when we say things like, I'm Karen Laos, I'm originally from Minneapolis, but now I live in San Francisco, and then I did this, men do that just as much as women. The challenge is that there are other things that, generally speaking, that we as women are also that we are dealing with, and we are fighting that that tightrope where we've got connection on one side of the the fence, if you want to look at that way, and then that credibility on the other side, where we're always balancing. We don't want to be too warm or nurturing because then we're going to come across as a pushover, but we don't want to be too much on the side where we have such strength in our voice that we sound aggressive. And that would be the same thing with a man. Well, let's just say, if we're looking at it neutrally, we're looking at it neutrally. What I want to do is stay in my lane and that is helping to helping women to do everything that they can in their power. But I think it's also important to recognize that these issues are the same thing with other genders as far as the communication tips. This sounds like a good time to take a break. When we come back, we're going to learn about the Broadway musical technique, the benefits of going live on Instagram and Karen's truly shocking loading dock story. Be right back. I'm chatting with Stephanie Smith from Cogwell Marketing about how her company helps branded hotels make the most of the marketing tools available to them. When do hotel owners or management companies engage Cogwheel versus working with a brand's internal marketing team? We help a lot of hoteliers with openings and conversions. 
And that's a big, strong push for a short amount of time. For a lot of different management companies, we're handling their paid media, everything from their advertising, encoding, Google, social media, search and optimization, all of those things. Something I hear from owners a lot is that the typical hotel digital marketing strategy is just about running OTA ads. How do you use that as part of your strategy without it being the only thing that you do? OTA ads kind of fall into that Hail Mary bucket. So a hotel comes to us in the middle of the month and they say, Hey, we're not going to meet budget. Then we're like, Yikes, the only tool in our tool belt that you can run to affect in the month is running those OTA ads. It's really important to understand the flywheel of the entire customer journey. People tend to focus on the transaction where people actually make the booking. And while that's important, you have to understand the entire research process, what happens before, during, and after the booking to create a complete strategy. We like to make sure that our listeners come away from each and every episode of Top Floor with some very specific and practical tips to try in their businesses or in their personal lives. I think we've already hit about 15 of those in our conversation, but I'm going to ask you some more questions, Karen. So a listener is in the car heading to an important meeting. What is one piece of advice you would give to help her feel more confident? The first thing I would say is come up with a mantra that makes you feel on top of the world. And it might be something like, people love to hear what I have to say. That is one of the best. And it's been for ages, something that people recommend, that positive self-talk. The other thing that I like almost even better is to act as if that meeting has already happened. And talk to yourself like that has happened. Wow, I can't believe that that person said this. And oh my gosh, right when Ah. we were finished, this person came up to me and said that that was the best piece of advice that they'd ever gotten. Or whatever it is that you're most afraid of or most nervous about, turn that into the most positive experience that's possible and imagine it happening. Because the other cool thing about our brains is that Our subconscious doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's not. That's why role plays are so powerful. So when you role play with yourself, even in the car, that can help your brain go in the real scenario. Oh, I've already been here before. So that's an important tip that I would recommend. And I'll say one other. I have to say one other related to self-doubt. This is from my friend, Rachel Grant. I always like to give her credit, but it's called the Broadway musical technique. And that is, or I'm calling it that. I, I, I coined it that. We have these messages that play over and over in our heads and identify what that main message is. So maybe it's something like, who am I to be on this in this meeting? Or I'll never be enough or whatever it is that you might say to yourself. And usually when we say those words, either internally or externally, it comes with a very low energy, kind of sad tone to it. So instead, say it out loud and sing it like a Broadway musical. (laughs) Who am I to be doing this meeting? (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly you start cracking up about it because then you realize you're just tricking your brain. So there's actual a neuroscience perspective behind this. So there's logical scientific scientific evidence that shows why this is valuable to do. It might seem weird, but that's also part of the point. You also realize, wow, I could 
create a positive thought rather than a negative thought, even if the words are different or the same. It takes the sting out of it for sure. Yeah. You do something that I think is really interesting. You go live on Facebook and Instagram sometimes. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering about that experience for you, maybe what the pros and cons are. You know, what would you recommend to other business owners who are considering that as a marketing strategy? The first thing is it's great for visibility. And I personally find it fun, the experience. Where I would say it's not so great (laughs) is that. It can be depressing when you see numbers where you go, wow, people aren't here live. But what I have also come to learn is that the replays are where people come to listen a lot more than I would have expected. So that I will say was a surprise to me and something that I would recommend people consider specifically to not get so down on yourself when you think, why aren't all, why aren't, why don't I have more people coming? The other thing that was not an issue for me because I have been for so many years, I've been trained to speak on video and to be natural. A lot of people do lives and they sound robotic or they sound nervous. And right away, you can tell if you think somebody is worth continuing to listen to. The sad part is we have a nanosecond of, I think it's one tenth of a second where people decide if they want to keep listening to you. And this is super important. I don't think I need to say why that matters, but making sure that if you're going to do a live, there's so many tips I have on what to do and not to do, but making sure in advance that you have practiced enough in your own presentation skills to come across as a human being in the way you come across, that you have a conversational tone and not scripted, but also that you come across in a way that is focused. Sometimes people spend way too much time with all these pleasantries. Oh, oh, so-and-so. Oh, great to see you. It's so annoying. I can't stand that. Acknowledge someone and then move on or decide the way you're going to do it, whether it's maybe it's in the chat, if you can multitask or you have a producer, if you're lucky enough for that, to be able to do that for you. But it's determining in advance, are you actually adding something of value to their lives? If you're coming in to just say hi to everybody, then within, again, probably even if people like you after a couple minutes, they might decide, mm, this isn't, what. what is the point here? Or I do the replay so that I can fast forward to the point. That is a very good point. We have reached the fortune telling portion of the program. So now we are going to predict the future and then we will come back and see how correct you were. What is a prediction that you have for the future of conference keynote speeches? Well, I think they're going to be more fun (laughs) because people have more of a, what would I call it? A fire under our butts, (laughs) for lack of a better, Mm -hmm. more professional term, to make them engaging and fun and interesting because of the virtual pressure. I do think that we have been, even though on one hand you can go, oh, well, we're in person now. I don't have to work as hard. But I do think that it's made us all more intentional about that the hybrid, because I do think that for a lot of live events, most people now are incorporating a hybrid experience. We have to almost work harder because we're trying to not just be great in the conference space, but we're trying to be inclusive and interesting to people that are there online. So it's a little bit of both. I will tell you, I hosted 
the she has a deal pitch competition a couple of years ago and there were probably a hundred people in the room i didn't i was not one bit worried about the hundred people in the room i knew i would have them fine it was the people on the other side of the screens that i was like oh are they sitting at their house making fun of me (laughs) like that's what had me tied in knots not the warm bodies that were Uh, out in the audience. Yeah, it's hard. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about work for women, what would it be? I would love to see the equitable shift and having more women in leadership roles combined with women's confidence levels increasing. To me, that is the perfect sweet spot. When we can have both of those rise then we're going to have a much better world and we're going to feel more fulfilled. I agree. And I think you can't have one without the other. Yes. What is next for you and what's next for your company? Well, my 10-year goal is to be the main event in the Chase Center Stadium in San Francisco. Oh, cool. When that was being built, I said, I cannot imagine a greater experience than having 40,000 women in particular, but it could be any gender, but my focus is women, all feeling empowered and equipped with specific tools to be more confident. Because what I continue to hear when I ask people and do my own research around how have I helped you and trying to continue to hone my marketing message, people I've heard more than once is, you gave me the words without a script, you gave me sentence prompts and words that then made me more confident when I walked into that meeting or that presentation. So to me, I can't think of anything better. But as far as something a little more, uh, uh, I don't know if it's it's not less lofty for sure, but my long-term goal as well is to reach those 10 million women to eradicate self-doubt. Yeah. How are you going to count that? Ooh, yes. Well, a couple things. First of all, counting it with book sales combined with podcasting, all the reaches that I have. I think it's kind of like some of these car companies. I can't think of if it's Volvo or one of the companies that says their main goal, their mission is no accidents. We know that there are going to be accidents no matter what. To me, the goal that I have is more of a, here's what we're shooting for. And we're going to measure it as closely as possible, whether it's press appearances or speaking engagements that I do. So the more that I can get to that, the easier it will be. And we're at almost 2 million right now. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So it's almost like a million a year, basically. Yes, exactly. Good grief. Okay, folks, (laughs) before we tell Karen goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Karen, what is a story you would only tell on the loading dock? Back in the day when I was single, a friend and I discovered that we were both talking to the same guy on eHarmony. And we decided we didn't really care. We thought, well, we'll just each talk to him and see what happens. (laughs) May the best woman win. (laughs) Exactly. One day she called me at 6 a.m. And she knows I'm a night owl. So I'm thinking, what in the heck is she doing calling me at 6 a.m.? She said, oh my gosh, Karen, I Googled so-and-so. She says, I've never done that with a guy before. And this was, what, 12 plus years ago now. And she said, he's in prison. I'm sorry, what? Prison. She's He's in prison. What? I'm trying to do with that whispering voice. He's in 
prison. Holy moly. (laughs) And what does a normal person do? (laughs) They stop talking. If she goes, I'm stopping contact immediately. But what does Karen do? (laughs) I've never known anybody that's been in prison before. (laughs) I'm going to start talking to this guy. So we actually ended up... Dating for a little bit. If you oh can call my it gosh. That. Did you tell him you knew? <laughs> well, I asked him how, yes, because I said it was it was actually an interesting question. I said, How did you come to your faith? And it was a great opening question. And he said, Well, here it is. This is where most people stop talking to me. And you know what the coolest part about it was is that I I'm naturally a curious person. But the coolest part was that I felt like I actually gave him someone safe that he could talk to, even though it didn't end up (laughs) going anywhere. It was a fascinating experience. And I learned a lot about a little bit about the prison system. I had lots of questions for him, but I also learned a lot about creating a safe space for people and accepting them regardless of where they are. Now, that was not a good choice for me in my life as far as a long-term thing. Thankfully, it only lasted a couple of months, but it is not something that I generally tell about publicly. That's for sure. That's amazing. Karen Laos, thank you so much for being here. I loved hearing your stories and your tips and your suggestions for how to be credible and trustworthy. I will probably be not following many of them because I have to laugh maniacally every time I talk. But I really appreciate you riding with us to the top floor. You're welcome, Susan. Thank you for having me. I am finishing up my mini interview with Stephanie Smith, CEO of Cogwheel Marketing. Stephanie, on LinkedIn and in your newsletter, you use the hashtag always be learning, which I love and I wish I thought of myself. How does that play out in your company culture? This is both an internal and external mantra for our company. Internally, it's how we collaborate with our team members. It also comes into play with the people that we hire to be on our team. Externally, it plays out into the blogs that we write, the newsletters that we send out on their different educational journey. And if we can meet them where they are, then it's going to give digital marketing a seat at the commercial strategy table. You are really focused on making sure that you continually update the tools in your toolbox. What is the latest new thing you've learned about and implemented for Cogwheel Marketing clients? It's funny you talk about tools in your toolbox. It's a term that I use a lot with our team because in the digital marketing space, there's probably a hundred different things that you can do. There's been a lot of talk around moving into a cookie-less world. We've been doing a lot of testing with first-party data to run campaigns that are, instead of throwing stuff at a wall to see what sticks, we've been more intentional about segmenting and understanding who we really want to go after. We've been testing device ID targeting so we can really understand where guests have been going, understanding their patterns, who's in market, and then playing that to target people that have stayed at your competitor hotel to really bring awareness to a specific asset. To learn more about Stephanie's company, listen to episode 19 or visit cogwheelmarketing.com. 
Thank you for listening. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 88. Top Floor is produced by John Albano, who also composed and performed our elevated elevator music with vocals by Cameron Albano. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode. 